This sermon, Easter and the Art of Remembering, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, April 17th, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Happy Resurrection Sunday. I love that last song. Oh, happy day. It is a happy day for sure. Of course, when your sins are forgiven and you bear the righteousness of Christ before a holy God and your place in heaven is sealed every day, (laughs) it's an infinitely happy day. But today we're reminded of why every day is a happy day in a fresh way. So to do that, would you open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 as you are turning there, if you are unfamiliar with Luke, it was written, well, by Luke, uh, who was a companion of Paul's. Uh, Luke wrote this probably sometime in the early 60s AD. Uh, he was not an eyewitness. He, he, he got his, uh, uh, he, he received his account from interviews and that type of thing. Uh, and he's not writing like the other gospel writers to a group of people. He's writing to one man. A man named Theophilus. And in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Oh, Theophilus, I write this that you, well, that you might have certainty of the things you've been taught about Jesus. We like to stand around here when we read God's word as a way to set it apart from the rest of our worship. So with your Bibles turned to Luke 24, We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. As Tim mentioned at the outset, we have been celebrating uh, all week. Last Sunday in the Garden of Gethsemane, the agony of Christ as he looked into the cup. On Good Friday, he drank that cup dry. The omnipotent wrath and hatred of God towards sin. Every sin of every one of his children. But... It's a bit cliche, but thank God for Sunday, right? Here's what happens just three days later. Luke writes in chapter 24, verse 1, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember? Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. 
But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Maybe seated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that everything we have done to this point, what we are about to do as we are engaged by you through your word and imperfect preaching, that it is not in vain. Our faith is not futile. For those here who who have been saved by your grace, we are no longer in our sin. Because yes, in fact, Christ has risen. The tomb is indeed empty. And so now work in your people. And I pray that you would work the work of salvation, whether they are in this room or they are watching on from home. All that do not know you, would you bring conviction that leads to salvation? Would your spirit move regenerating hearts a regenerating work that leads to repentance and faith, that even as we sang a moment ago, that their lives may be changed forever in this next hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, of all the disciplines in the Christian life, it's real easy to forget what I believe is one of the most important disciplines of the Christian life, remembering Remembering. When you think about it, remembering has, from the beginning of redemptive history, always been central in the lives of God's people. If you're familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, God repeatedly, as they stood on the banks of the Jordan, getting ready to go into the promised land, God repeatedly tells the Israelites to remember all he has done. And all he has provided. If you read through the Psalms, you find David, he is constantly remembering. I remember your character. I remember your love. Jesus instituted the the sacrament of the church communion as a time to remember his death and resurrection. John 14 Jesus himself taught that a primary role of the Holy Spirit is to help us remember truth. In a defining moment of the early church, Acts 11 says that Peter received clarity and faith as he remembered the word of the Lord. The epistles repeatedly call us to remember some aspect of redemption for the sake of our sanctification. Indeed, the Bible even ends. Revelation 3.3, the entire church in Sardis was called to remember what you have received and heard. Remembering. Remembering is a key part of redemptive living, and there's a good reason for that. Uh, I don't think it's just me, but we are forgetful. (laughs) It has nothing to do with our age. We are forgetful. It's easy to get caught up and be driven on by the last feeling or the last thought or the last experience that we had. 
we tend to live five inches in front of our face, forgetting everything else. And in all the ups and downs of the Christian life, perhaps two things we tend to forget the most. And that is that no matter what is happening in your life, two things are eternally true. God is always in control, and Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. This morning is about remembering as we come to the empty tomb, not merely for the sake of remembering, but for joyful, faith-filled lives that are lived to the praise of God's glory. And that's what we find at the tomb. We, we are called to remember two things at the tomb. We'll get to those in a moment. I want to set the context here uh, quickly because it's important. If you're not familiar with Luke's account, Luke begins in the first verses, he begins with a group of women that he later identified in verse 10 as Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and then there were some other unnamed women. And and right off the bat, we realized that if we were going to concoct a plan to steal the body of Jesus, we wouldn't start with a group of women. Because in the first century, women were not looked upon well. In fact, a woman's testimony wouldn't hold up in the court of law. And so we're we're reminded right off the bat that that the resurrection was no hoax. If it was, it was poorly fashioned because this is not the way you would start it. You would not base your entire hoax on a group of women and their testimony. These women were disciples of Jesus. They, They showed up to care for his corpse. That's what Luke tells us. But what was waiting for them was the last thing they'd expected. Notice verse one again with me. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. This is a stunning moment. I, I wondered if we, after 2,000 Easter's, if we have become a bit numb to how amazing this moment was. That the tomb had been sealed and was heavily guarded to prevent any resurrection shenanigans according to Matthew 27. But now the tomb is empty. Put yourself in the shoes of these women for a moment. They they fully expected a corpse. They, They watched Jesus die. Chapter 23, verse 49. Luke goes on to tell us that that these women witnessed his burial in verse 55. With broken hearts and deep devotion, these women seen Jesus buried. They immediately went and they prepared spices and ointments to to, to care for his corpse, verse 56. And then, of course, in verse 1 of chapter 24, Luke says, at the crack of dawn on Sunday, perhaps they couldn't even sleep. At the crack of dawn, they, they went to the tomb with spices in hand to honor Jesus All that to say, these women fully expected to find the lifeless body of Jesus 
in the tomb. So when they arrived and found the tomb empty, it's no surprise that Luke describes them in verse 4 as perplexed. That, that, perplexed. No, that, 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 mean, that word there means they were at a loss for words. They're looking into the empty tomb, and they, they can't explain what's going on. They, have, they don't even know how to think about what they are witnessing. They, they had no idea how to process the empty tomb. They were perplexed. And then they were about to be frightened because Luke says two angels appeared. Notice verse 4. While they were perplexed about this, that is the empty tomb, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He isn't here. He has risen. And then the angel says, remember. In other words, take everything that you're feeling right now. Take everything that you're thinking right now. Take everything, every ounce of your rationale and reasoning and fix it, focus it, funnel it to the words that Jesus spoke. This is how you interpret the empty tomb. Remember what he told you. The call is the same for us today. And as we stand at the empty tomb and remember, there are two life-altering truths that emerge that we must never forget. One, God is always in control. I want to draw your attention to a single word in verse 7. Look there with me. It's the word must. It means something is necessary. It, it's meant to tip the reader off that what comes next, what comes next is not random, it's not chance. What comes next is part of a plan. It's part of a plan. And that plan, the angels remind us and these women what that plan was in verse 7, that, that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, he will be delivered over. He must be delivered over. He must be crucified. And he must be risen from the dead. That word must is important because it means that no matter how hopeless the humiliation of Christ seemed, no matter how perplexing the empty tomb was, it was all part of a plan, God's plan. We've been studying the, the book of Acts. Do you remember Peter's amazing sermon at Pentecost as, as he 
put forth as he explained what was going on. And he preached the gospel in, in Acts 2, verse 23. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. Everything that has been happening this week, the Jews' scheme to eliminate Jesus was God's plan. Pilate's cowardice before the Sanhedrin was God's plan. The Savior's unfathomable agony in the garden was a response to God's plan. The unthinkable betrayal of Jesus, betrayed with a kiss from a man, part of his inner circle, was part of God's plan. The crushing of Christ on the cross, according to Isaiah 53, was part of God's plan. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it well when he writes, the death of Christ on the cross was not an accident. Ultimately, it was not even something achieved by men. It was part of the plan and purpose of God. It was God who contrived the cross. The cruel hands of men actually knocked in the nails but it was by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. There's a lot of theology in that four-letter word, must. From the garden to Golgotha, nothing Jesus experienced was an accident. It was the eternal plan of the sovereign God. Sovereign meaning that God was in control. Sovereign meaning that God throughout this whole thing acted in the place of authority. Nothing about the cross happened apart from God's ordained purposes. As Paul Beasley Murray put it, the powers of evil did their worst but they did not and never will have the last word. Because when we say that God is sovereign, we are saying that he has the first word, he has the last word, and he has all the words in between. And no one and nothing can thwart his plan, a plan that he set forth before the foundations of the world in eternity passed. I know, it's a mind blower. We will never sufficiently grasp it, will we? We can't fully explain it. I mean, I have sat down with more people trying to explain God's sovereignty in their lives. And there's only so much that you can do. It has to be the Spirit of God opening their minds to this, this wonderful truth. We, we, we can't fully grasp it. We, we, can, we can never fully explain it, but, but it's what the Bible teaches about God, that, that he, he is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he works out his providence. 
his providence being, his sovereignty being worked out, meaning he is at work in every detail, bringing all things to his intended purposes, yes, even the crucifixion of his own son, Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection then was, it was God's plan. It was God's plan to vindicate Jesus, to vindicate his innocent son, whose death and resurrection defeated death, defeated sin, sufficiently paid the price for our sin, as the writer of Hebrews said, once for all. And if you could just, Jesus hung on the cross, we saw this Friday, he hung on the cross, and having absorbed the unrelenting, omnipotent wrath of a holy God for every sin of every one of God's people. He said these three words. It is finished. We sung about it this morning. And the empty tomb is God's way of responding to his son's grand statement, and it is accepted. The work is finished, and it is accepted. It's as if the, the, the empty tomb stands in redemptive history. It's as if it's God's way of standing before the universe and applauding his son Jesus for all that he accomplished for the salvation of sinners like you and I. God standing and saying what has been finished by my son has been fully accepted by me all according to my plan, just as I ordained it to the praise of my glory. That's the empty tomb. That's the voice that cries out from the empty tomb. It's all part of God's plan. Just like whatever is going on in your life right now. It was all part of God's plan for his son, Jesus Christ. And his sovereignty remains. It doesn't pull back for your life. He doesn't pull back and allow people and institutions and situations to suddenly take control. Not even you. <laughs> the tomb reminds us God, God is in full control. Death, the one thing we can't figure out, death. Who can cheat death? Well, God did. It was part of his plan to raise his son up from the grave. The grave could not hold him down. So we see in the empty tomb, we're reminded that God is, God is in full control. And the second thing is that Jesus can be trusted. Easter Sunday reminds us that Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. You can trust him. You can trust him. You know, in the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly told his disciples that the Son of Man must be handed over, 
and crucified, but will be on the third day raised from the dead. Did you notice as we read Luke's account, those are the words the angels used to explain the empty tomb to the perplexed women. Look again, look again with me. Look about halfway through verse six. He is not here, but he has risen. Now how many things could the angels have told them at this point? Here's what he says. He says, remember how he told you. Repeatedly, three times. The Son of Man must be handed over and crucified, but will, but will be raised to life on the third day. I love this. When the, angels, when the angels had to make a case for Christ, they didn't make it with fancy apologetics. They didn't point to physical evidence. They didn't rebuttal kidnapping claims that perhaps were already swirling out there. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with apologetics. Don't get me wrong. But let's not miss something here that is critical to our Christian walk, our understanding of the trustworthiness of Jesus. The angels could have used so many ways to help these women in their fear and confusion and unbelief, but what they chose to do is they pointed to the words of Jesus. They said, remember what he told you. Remember how he told you. I will be crucified, and on the third day, I will rise. Remember he told you this. Remember what he said. For a moment, think about it. Think about the magnitude of those words. I, I read a story. I cut a bunch out, but, and excuse me, I, I don't know how to speak French, but here we go. Here we go. Abraham du Melville. <laughs> However you say it. He was a genius French mathematician whose lifelong fascination in study of the uh, study of uh, the mathematics of probability actually led him to try and calculate his own death. Yeah, he, this guy. Yeah, I'd love to hang out with this guy. So the story goes: as he aged, Abraham noticed that he started needing more sleep every night to feel rested. And so he, he calculated that, that, that he slept about 15 minutes longer every night. Okay? So I dare some of you who, dare some of you to try this. Knowing that, he predicted that the date of his death, knowing that he's been sleeping 15 minutes longer, he he. Extrapolate that out, and, and he, he predicted that the date of his death would be November 27th, 1754. The moment in that time that his sleeping time would culminate to 24 hours. Now, 
no matter how crazy this sounds, no matter how silly this sounds, the eerie part of this story is that the man did die on the very day he said he would die. How amazing is that? Don't go to community group and start predicting the day you're going to die. Man, that will not serve your wives. That's amazing. But it's not as amazing as predicting your death and your resurrection. Abraham didn't even go there. Why? Because he knew he could never raise himself from the dead. Jesus said, I will be killed. And in just three days, which, by the way, was enough time to know that the person was fully dead. There's a lot that happens by that third day. It's over. I will be raised. And not simply in our hearts. It's not what Jesus meant. Not simply in our memories. Not simply resuscitated only to die again. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said he would be crucified to atone for our sins and raised to give us eternal life with him. And just as he said, it happened. No one else in the history of mankind, not even Abraham du Mauvais, has done that. This is so important. This is so important because the Christian faith is based on events that either happened or they didn't. (laughs) This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we have no faith. If that didn't actually happen, then our faith is futile and we are still in our sin. And and, and of all the people in the history of the world, we are the most to be pitied. It either happened or it didn't. You know what Paul's next words were? But, in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. Historical fact, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection multiple times. Not just his death, but his death and resurrection. And he was a real man who was living on this planet, real space and time. Historical fact, these women in Luke's account watched Jesus physically die on the cross. He was dead Historical fact, these women were eyewitnesses to the burial of Jesus as they followed Joseph of Amarathea to bury his body. 
historical fact, the religious leaders remembered Jesus' predictions about his resurrection and requested that Pilate seal the tomb and keep it under guard so that the body wouldn't be stolen. Historical fact, when these women went to the tomb on the third day, it was empty. Historical fact, the religious leaders bribed the guards to tell people the body was stolen, a theory that many Jewish people believe today. Historical fact, over the next 40 days, Jesus would appear to over 500 people talking and eating and drinking and shaking hands and fellowshipping. Historical fact, the hunt for Jesus' corpse continues unsuccessfully to this day. Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised to life on the third day, just as he said, a risen Jesus is a trustworthy Jesus. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, who would have been, he would have been deceived or a deceiver, but his most amazing promise has come true, his death and resurrection. So how can we not depend on and live by all the rest of his promises? Because the tomb is empty, just as Jesus said it would be, we can believe every word that Jesus said. We, we can believe every promise that he made. We should heed every warning that he gave. Jesus believed that the scriptures were the word of God. Therefore, we can believe they are the word of God because he is himself God. <laughs> If he's still in the tomb, then as Mr. C Mr. Lewis said, he's a deceiver. He can't be trusted. He's like so many who have come along saying, I'm the Messiah. And in the end, he got found out. Not so with Jesus. A risen Jesus is a trustworthy Jesus. A risen Savior is a trustworthy Savior. But most importantly, because the tomb is empty, we can believe that Christ's work on the cross is sufficient. He said... It is finished, and he is trustworthy, so we could, should take him at his word. I need to do nothing to atone for my sins before God because Christ did it all. We can believe that his death on the cross, his work on the cross sufficiently binds us into an unbreakable union that we will experience for eternity 
in the presence, in his presence, around the throne of God. It's what he said. It's what he accomplished. And the empty tomb is God saying, yes, he is sufficient for your forgiveness. He is sufficient for your righteousness. He is sufficient for your sanctification. That is being made more and more into the image of Christ. And we can believe, because the tomb is empty, we can believe Revelation 21 that we sang about this morning. Behold, I will be with my people, and my people will be with me in heaven. The place where God's presence, his his presence to infinitely bless is. Versus hell, the place where God's presence to infinitely punish is. We can believe Revelation 21 that says, for all who come in the name of Jesus, there is coming a day when there will be no more sorrow, no more suffering. Why? Because there will be no more sin. (laughs) Only mercy and grace. We will be perfected in the presence of Christ. We heard it this morning from the reading of 1 Corinthians 15. Perfected in a twinkling of an eye. Not because what we did on this, in this life, this isn't a karma thing, this isn't an Eastern religion thing, this is a gospel thing. This is all part of God's plan, knowing that we could never live up to his holiness. So he sent his son to stand in our place, to drink our cup, to die so that death could be conquered and sin would no longer have a hold. Oh, Revelation 21 is coming. You can be sure of it because the tomb is empty. Jesus spent 40 days after the resurrection. As I said, 1 Corinthians 15 says it. He met with over 500 people. I witnessed him. And then many people witnessed him ascending into the heavens. And angels saying, what are you looking at? He will come back for you. Now get on with the mission. Because there's people, as these ladies did, to go tell. Listen, whether you are here this morning or you're watching on, I know that there are some who doubt the veracity of the gospel. You struggle for a variety of reasons. You want proof in the form of theological mystery solved. 
in the form of historical objections answered. Perhaps for you, it's, it's about emotional expectations fulfilled. Or maybe for you, it's, it's about a troubling event in your life explained. If God is real, Jesus really died for our sins, then how then explain why this has happened in my life? Those are difficult things. And if you're there, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. God is merciful. God is gracious. And he knows exactly where you're at. But we're called to believe, to remember Philip Ryken says, we are to believe in the resurrection on the basis of what Jesus said. It's all right here. Paul Jenks are good. It's good to help somebody understand. R.C. Sproul was very good with his apologetics. But at the end of the day, we are called to believe what Jesus said, who he was, and what he came to do. The empty tomb is not self-explanatory. He goes on. There is a word that explains the deed, and the word is the gospel message that Jesus not only died, but also rose again with a glorious and everlasting body that would never die again. This gospel message is, is the same message. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but look down. Look down at verse 44. Jesus, just prior to ascending... He's gathered up with his disciples. And in verse 44, chapter 24, this is what he says. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Remember <laughs> that everything written about, about me and the law of prophets and the, pro, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he goes on to say, then he opened their minds to understand, not biology, <laughs> the scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We've been studying the book of Acts. Does that not sound familiar? Yes, because Acts is volume two to the gospel of Luke. It picks up right here. But you see what Jesus does? Jesus didn't try and explain the divine dynamics of being raised from the dead. He said, this is what I said. Believe. That's God's plan for your salvation. If you're here this morning, you, you don't know Jesus. Jesus did what you could never do. He paid the price for your sins. But that's what happened on the cross and that's what the empty tomb makes effectual and makes possible for you right now. You don't have to be somebody. You don't have to look some way. You don't have to talk some way. You don't have to be at a certain level of biblical and theological knowledge. You simply come believing what Jesus said and did for your salvation.
The empty tomb. We're celebrating the empty tomb. But for those who don't know Jesus, the empty tomb does demand a verdict. It demands a verdict in your soul. It it demands you come to the empty tomb and you must walk away either saying, no, I don't believe it. And then you walk away on your own. Not knowing if you will have another day. And the moment your days are over, it's over. And you will stand before a holy God and give account. And the only way, the only way to stand account and not be crushed eternally by God's white-hot hatred, omnipotent wrath towards sin is to believe in Jesus. But if you come to the empty tomb and by the grace and mercy of God you say, I believe, your life has been changed forever. You don't believe because somebody's convinced you. You don't believe because... Things are starting to line up in your life. You believe because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and I lived for you, and I died for you, and I suffered for you, and I was mocked for you. Your call today is not to remember, it's to repent and believe in the risen Savior. Christian, as we close, you you know your sins are forgiven. Praise God. You know your Father in heaven loves you unfailingly. Isn't that amazing? But still, we can get anxious about life. Still, we can grow weary at heart. Life is difficult. Jesus promised it would be until he returns. We can still be condemned by our own sin. How can God love me after the way I treated my wife last night? We can be worn down by our circumstances. Remember what Jesus told you, Christian. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't think for one moment that that is only for the unbeliever. We come to Jesus every day, don't we? And lay our yoke at his feet. Are you weary, Christian, today? Are you living in condemnation? Are you despairing? I read an article this morning about how this Easter Sunday would be different than other Easter Sundays because people would gather and they wouldn't only be celebrating the empty tomb, they'd be celebrating coming out of the pandemic. 
we celebrate one thing, an empty tomb. Pandemic, no pandemic. It doesn't matter. (laughs) The empty tomb means one thing. I can have salvation. I am eternally loved by a holy God. I was once dead in my sins, but now, like Christ, I have been raised to life. The empty tomb reminds us this morning that God is in control of your life and that you can take Jesus at his word for your life. And I believe his word this morning for all of us is to freshly come. Come to me and I will give you rest. Remember my words and come to me. So we go from here. Remembering what Jesus has told us. We tell it to ourselves. Did you notice in verse 8, the women, what they did? They remembered. Luke says, and they remembered Jesus' words, and immediately what they do? They left, filled with faith, filled with joy, and they left, and they begin to tell others. Go tell yourself today. Go Go tell Siri today. Go tell, I don't know what her problem is. She keeps interrupting my sermons. This is like two out of three now. Go tell everyone. Go tell everyone. Begin with yourself. And go tell everyone with full confidence that God is in control of your life. Jesus is absolutely trustworthy. is alive.